Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Kathy with a K. And I'm Kathy with a C. And this is Killer Destinations. Today's destination is Greeley, Colorado. Located about 50 miles north of Denver, Greeley was one of the first planned communities in the United States. It was primarily an agricultural development, and agribusiness still provides a solid economic foundation to this day. But in 2019, the fields revealed the body of a young girl and set in motion a trial that asked the question, true crime addict or killer? On December 20th, 1984, 12-year-old Janelle Matthews was a seventh grader at Franklin Middle School in Greeley. That night, she and a friend performed in the annual Christmas concert at the middle school. Janelle was a member of the school choir and was excited about taking part in the choir and strings performance. The school band was also performing, and there was a Christmas boutique featuring items made from the students for sale. Janelle got a ride home from her friend's father, and when she got home, nobody was there. Her father and sister had been at her older sister's basketball game, and when they returned home an hour after Janelle had been dropped off at about 9.30, Janelle was missing. What I read is that her mother wasn't there that night because her father had taken ill. She had elderly parents who lived in California. And so her mom had to get on a plane that day to go fly out to be with her parents. Oh, that's so painful. I know. That poor mom. Oh, my gosh. So Janelle's dad was the principal of a local elementary school. And when he got home that night, he saw that Janelle had left him a note at about 830. It was a phone message from a teacher at his school. So her dad went to the basement to wrap Christmas presents and then headed upstairs to see her. He found her shoes and a blanket next to a space heater that Janelle had turned on in front of the TV set, which is where she liked to hang out because it was warm. Space heater in front of the TV set? This is a smart girl. Well, with a blanket really close to it. It's a fire hazard. (laughs) You. I'm the safety girl. I know you totally are. But when he went looking for her, he couldn't find her. Her sister returned home about 30 minutes later and helped him look outside of the home. He called the father of the friend who had dropped her off, whose name was Russ Ross. So Mr. Ross said that he dropped Janelle off and the garage door was open a little bit and he saw her go through the garage and into the house. Nothing looked amiss. At this point, her father called the police. According to an article in the Daily Sentinel, a few weeks after Janelle disappeared, her parents, Jim and Gloria Matthews, spoke at a press conference to help get the word out about their daughter. Mrs. Matthews said she hoped to get volunteers to help type addresses so that the missing poster for Janelle that offered a $20,000 reward could be sent to every police and sheriff's department in the nation. The reward money had come from friends, family, and strangers. 
Mr. Matthews even said that bus drivers from his school district had handed him $60 cash and an apple pie a few days before to help with the reward. How nice. I know. I love the community coming together. Exactly. At that time, Mrs. Matthews said that about 2,000 posters with Janelle's picture and information had been spread across the country by truckers. Mrs. Matthews admitted that they were expecting a miracle. Hundreds of volunteers showed up for a countywide search on what would have been Janelle's birthday on February 9th, 1985. They were looking for her body or anything that might be evidence. Her parents went on national TV talk shows at the time and programs that highlighted missing children. Janelle was also one of the first children to be featured on the side of a milk carton. I remember those. I do too. And if you don't, ask your parents. Ask your parents. <laughs> Back in the mid 80s, there was actually a milk producing company that thought about the fact that when people in the morning are eating breakfast, they have their cereal and they leave the milk on the table. So they have something to look at. And, and don't you remember as a kid when you were eating cereal, you always fought over the cereal box or whatever it was. Like you wanted to read something while you were eating. And so it's, it's perfect. It's exactly. Per- perfect to have it on a milk carton. And the parents have it there too. And so they can see it. Although my siblings and I fought over a lot of things. <laughs> and I only had one sibling, so we didn't fight over much. Mom probably bought us our own boxes. <laughs> my, my brother, Matt, would hoard cereal. He would go buy himself the good cereal and keep it in his bedroom and not share it. <laughs> can you see that? Which is why he's my favorite sibling. <laughs> Exactly. Why you guys are such good friends. Exactly. When the zombie apocalypse comes, you want to be with Matt. Totally. He'll be ready. (laughs) He will. Then President Ronald Reagan even mentioned Janelle in one of his addresses to the nation. He was actually instrumental in getting the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children stood up. Oh, that's awesome. It is. But nothing was ever found and the trail went cold. According to an Associated Press article in the Fort Collins, Coloradoan, Mr. and Mrs. Matthews had Janelle officially declared dead in 1994, 10 years after she disappeared. They held a funeral service. Family and friends saw a photo display of Janelle at all stages of her life, and all of them were given a chance to say goodbye. Her parents said they wanted to lay to rest any hopes of finding their daughter alive. Mrs. Matthews said, Tonight is a time to say goodbye for us. It's a closure. How awful is that? I can't. I, it's it, like what it must have taken for them to take that step. Right. And, and just not knowing anything. Oh, I just, I can't imagine. In an article on January 2nd, 2010, by Mike Peters in the Greeley Tribune, Janelle's disappearance was still an open case with the Greeley Police Department. And Lieutenant Brad Goldschmidt said that Janelle's DNA was in the national database. I'm assuming her parents must have donated something for that because they had no body. Right. I'm guessing you're right. Maybe hair, hairbrush, toothbrush, something. something. Yes. Her photo, along with an age-progressed photo of what she might look like at 37. Wow, 37. I know was at that time on the website for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So fast forward to December 20th of 2018. Greeley police announced on what was then the 34th anniversary of Jonelle Matthews' disappearance that they were picking up their investigation and hoped that modern technology would help them solve this long unsolved case. But astonishingly, 
Seven months later, on Tuesday, July 23, 2019, construction workers in Greeley, who had been building a new pipeline in an oil field, had discovered bones. On Thursday, July 25, Greeley police announced that the human remains had been confirmed as being those of Janelle Matthews, and the police were treating it as a homicide investigation. In an article by Aaron Udell that ran in September 2019 in the Fort Collins, Coloradoan, the set of bones had been discovered with a skull that had intact teeth that had braces on them, which Janelle had. That's so sad. As well as blue and red fabric that were consistent with the clothes Janelle had been wearing that night to the concert. On July 26th, just one day after police confirmed the bones were Janelle Matthews, Greeley police said that they were sending evidence from the discovery site for forensic testing, as well as investigating the history of who owned the land in the area where Janelle's remains had been found. In an article by P. Solomon Banda for the Daily Sentinel, Janelle's older sister Jennifer was quoted as saying, I'm grateful for this closure after 34 years. It does bring up some old wounds and some more questions, maybe, of what happened, but we've received so much love and support already. Jennifer, who lived in Washington State in 2019, said her parents were retired and living in Costa Rica, but said she'd spoken to them and they were, of course, sad. And they were grateful for all of the hard work that had been done by the Greeley Police Department. So fast forward one year to October of 2020. In a separate article by Aaron Udell of the Fort Collins, Coloradoan, on October 12, 2020, and after a grand jury indictment, the Greeley police arrested Stephen Pinky in Meridian, Idaho, for first-degree murder, first-degree felony murder, and kidnapping with enhancements for using a weapon in the commission of a violent crime. Pinky was being held in the Ada County Jail, awaiting extradition to Weld County, Colorado, where Greeley was located. You know what I thought was funny? Meridian in 2020. So I've been to Meridian, Idaho. I really like it. It's a pretty community and it's being super built up. Because it's filled with Californians now. Oh, totally. But it's, it is, I am telling you, if I had to guess, I would have, I would say 80% of the residents are retired police officers and the other 20% are firemen. Wow. This guy was rolling the <laughs> dice on that, wasn't he? I mean, it's like he was he was living, you know, uh, amongst all of the people who could have gotten him. Exactly. I, I thought that was that is funny. That's interesting. And and truly, I don't know what the stats are on Meridian, but that's how it feels. It, it feels like the safest city in America. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Pankey's name was not new to police. Fewer than two months after Janelle's remains were found in 2019, Stephen Pankey told the Idaho Statesman newspaper that he was being investigated for her murder, but that he was innocent. Greeley police confirmed at the time that he was a person of interest. Pankey had lived in Weld County until the 1970s when he joined the Army. He was discharged a year later and went back to Greeley in the mid-70s, where he was an active participant in the church choir at Sunnyview Church of the Nazarene the same congregation that the Matthews family belonged to. On the night Janelle Matthews disappeared, Panky lived about two miles away from the Matthews' home. At that time, Panky was 33 years old, married, and the father of a young son. 
The grand jury indictment alleged that Panky had kidnapped Janelle Matthews from her family home between 8.30 and 9.30 at night on December 20, 1984, and shot her during the course of a kidnapping, then buried her body in the remote oil field where her remains were found. It was alleged that he watched children walking home from the Franklin Middle School, which Janelle Matthews attended. According to Trevor Reed, writing for the Greeley Tribune on Friday, October 16, 2020, just four days after Stephen Pankey's arrest, the Weld County Coroner's Office released the autopsy report for Janelle Matthews. The report stated that she died from a single gunshot wound to the head and the manner of death was homicide. So here's what's interesting. In June of that year, so just about four months prior to this. June of 2020? Yes. Okay. Several of the different news organizations had put in a Freedom of Information Act request for the copy of the autopsy because they, the medical examiner's office wasn't freely releasing it. And so they did because of this request, but it was heavily redacted to the point that it didn't show what the cause of death was. So the grand jury information, obviously they would have known. And once that became public, that's when the entire, that's when the cause of death was released. Oh, I see. Okay. Or that's when the cause of death was made public. Right, right. On December 4th, 2020, almost two months after Stephen Pankey was arrested, a hearing was held to determine the amount of his bond. Assistant Weld County District Attorney Rob Miller had asked that the bond be set at $10 million. At that hearing, Miller said Pankey went to Greeley Police in January of 1985 and claimed to be an ordained Baptist minister and thought one of his parishioners could have been involved in Janelle's murder. So this is one within, this is the month following her murder. Right. It actually wasn't even a month. I think it was something like three weeks. Oh my goodness. Panky asked police for details of what they knew in the case so he could compare it with what he knew. Panky wouldn't tell them why he suspected one of his parishioners. He just wanted the police to tell him all of the information they had so that he personally could compare it to what the quote unquote parishioner had said. Pinky was like, you show me yours, but I'm not showing you mine. Exactly. That was exactly <laughs> it. Now, according to Miller, and this is one of the reasons why he wanted such a high bond, is that Pinky had lied about being a Baptist minister. His grandfather and his father were, but at the time, he was a car salesman in Greeley. Miller said Pinky also continued to write letters to his office, so the district attorney's office, as recently as 2013. And in 2011, he sent a letter that detailed how Pinky and his family went on a trip to California in the days after Janelle Matthews went missing. So he didn't even learn about her disappearance until after returning to Colorado. Do we know, by the way, how long they were in California? I believe it was seven days. Okay. I just didn't read it anywhere. But but the challenge here is that nobody asked him where he was or how he heard about it. Right. He was just volunteering this he information was just in the up, vomiting up his alibi. That <laughs> <laughs> hadn't been asked for. Right, exactly. That, that never raises red flags. So that was Not a at good all. call. Good call. <laughs> Assistant DA Miller also argued that Panky was a flight risk with the means to flee, including approximately $1 million in an investment account and a home in Idaho valued at $400,000. Was he a very successful car salesman or what? My <laughs> no, gosh. Actually, it was his great-grandfather. His great-grandfather had been a cattle baron in New Mexico, where he actually also served a term as lieutenant governor of the state. Oh, so wow. So my understanding is, is that this was passed down. Like just family money, generational wealth. Exactly. Panky's attorney, Anthony Viorst, asked for a $50,000 bond and said his client was a man of modest means and just a prickly person who was obsessed with true crime 
and had a propensity for doing, quote, inappropriate things, unquote. Okay. Yeah, not sure what that means, but also not sure I want to know. That's a very broad category. <laughs> it's also a little creepy because this man is 70 years old at this time. Panky was 70 at the time? Well, he was 33 when she went missing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Viewers also asked who exactly Panky was going to harass since, quote, tragically, the main witness in this case is deceased, end quote. Now, that, that is tacky and insulting. Absolutely. Those are the nicest words. I'm not going to say the ones I was thinking. Exactly. Weld County District Judge. Because Tim- that would have been inappropriate. It would have been. <laughs> would have been one of those inappropriate things that you do I, I <laughs> occasionally. Think my, I think mine are still better than his, and I don't even know what his are. Exactly. <laughs> Weld County District Judge Timothy Kearns set Stephen Pankey's bond at $5 million cash only. Now, I had to look this up just to make sure, but basically it wasn't that he had to pay the 15%, the 10%, 10% whatever, whatever it was yeah. in cash. If he wanted out, he had to have 100% cash, no collateral, just the cash, to the tune of $5 million so that he could walk out of jail. Cha-ching. Yeah, no kidding. The defense attorney requested a hearing to lower the bond amount, and this was not granted. Nearly a year after Panky was indicted by the grand jury, the trial began on October 6, 2021. In his opening statement... The Weld County District Attorney Michael Rourke said that Stephen Pankey as much as admitted to his involvement in the disappearance of Janelle Matthews. Prosecutors focused on the many written and verbal statements made by the defendant himself over the years and his odd behaviors. Kathy, you read more about that than I did. So why don't you talk about that? I did. And it was kind of alluded to already in the opening statements from the prosecutor. But basically, this was a man who, from the very beginning, if you'll recall, three weeks after she disappeared, he was inserting himself into the investigation. But over the next 37 years, he continually inserted himself into the investigation. Which is so weird. Well, and it's a red flag for police and everybody knows that. Oh, you think? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and we'll get to it in a little bit, too. But he also had information that the police believed he only could have gotten if he'd known what happened. So we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later. But not only did he send letters to the district attorney's office, but he constantly called police as well. Now, this is well before any bones were found. This was through all of those years. And he just kept calling and asking for information. And they would never give it to him. Hmm. So the district attorney Rourke said that some of the statements made by Panky over the years were in writings and court filings. Others were obtained from his home when a search warrant was executed. Rourke said it was not an exaggeration that Panky had done thousands of computer searches for information about Janelle since 2016. And I'm guessing it's since 2016 because that's probably how old his computer was when he was arrested. I had the same exact thought. So the DA focused on Panky's words and actions in the days after Janelle vanished all the way up to the point he was arrested. Rourke, the DA, detailed some of the behaviors that Panky's ex-wife would testify about later in the trial. And at this point, are, wait, they're divorced, right? They're divorced. I think they divorced in 1999. Okay. So about okay. 10 years. 10, all right. 10, 12 years. So she's a lucky witness against him for the DA. And she basically says, uh, like some of the topics of her testimony were the unannounced trip to California right after Janelle went missing, 
Pinky making his wife search the radio for news about Janelle on the way home from that trip. But if you remember, he said that he didn't know about her disappearance until after he got home. Right. It contradicts a lot of what he was saying. Also, his wife had to beg for old copies of the Greeley Tribune from when they were out of town on their trip to California, then made her read the articles about Janelle. Lastly, Panky's ex-wife testified about a comment she heard him make after their son, Mark, was murdered in 2008. And the comment was, I hope God didn't let this happen because of Janelle Matthews as Panky was standing next to an urn containing their son's ashes. Prosecutor Rourke acknowledged that there was not DNA evidence for the case, given Matthew's body lay in a field exposed to the elements for 35 years. So there was literally nothing physical connecting him to her remains. Well, in one of the statements that the district attorney made during his opening statement was, quote, you will hear statements, accounts that show he's the person we've been looking for for 37 years. So he was really confident in all of this information they had then without having any DNA evidence. Exactly. He was basically saying, you take the sum total of his obsession and all of these statements he made over the years. And some of the information he knew that he shouldn't have. And this has got to be the guy. Kath, why are so many dogs now suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, said she's seeing more issues with joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is actually the way many dog foods are made can create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many of the premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw a huge transformation in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. And Kath, as you know, we have a schnauzer named Ollie. And even though my husband insists he is not, he is overly flatulent. (laughs) (laughs) After I started giving him this food, I swear there was a reduction in his smell. I love that. And I'll come over to your house now. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and you know, we have a Vishla we call Orange, and she's a senior dog. And over the last couple of weeks, she has actually had more energy to be running around the backyard with the younger dog, the Doberman we call Brown. Or crazy. A little bit. <laughs> so if you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com slash killer D and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash killer D. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. During their opening statements, defense attorney Anthony Viorst countered by saying Panky's ex-wife had these memories, quote, all of a sudden, and that she never suspected that Panky had anything to do with Janelle's case until 1999. 
for 15 years, she never had in the back of her mind, gee, I wonder if Steve did that, viewer why, said. Why 1999? Like what? That was when they got divorced. That's it. That's it. Okay. All right. Go ahead. But I also think it's funny because how does he know what was in the back of her mind? Maybe she was afraid because she was still married. Maybe there was a reason that she had to do that. I think it's fishy. He, I think he raises a good point in that. Divorce does ugly things to people. It does. The defense attorney told the jurors that Panky had no inside knowledge of the crime itself, despite his statements. If Panky had any knowledge of the crime, he claimed that it came from conversations with others. Quote, he has never hidden his interest in the Janelle Matthews case. He loves these true crime cases. People really like this stuff. It's a legitimate sort of hobby, if you will. End quote. I can't argue with that part. I was just going to say, like, okay, all right. Okay. <laughs> I'd agree with that part, but that doesn't mean that he didn't do it. <laughs> His defense attorney said that he had an obsessive interest, but was never involved in the crime. And he emphasized what D.A. Rourke had already said in that there was no DNA evidence linking Panky to the murder of Janelle that night in Greeley. I have to say, I think that juries expect that now. They do. Yeah. And I've actually heard on a couple of different podcasts that when they've had guests on who were forensic scientists, that jurors rely on it too much now. And that if it isn't there, they tend to just dismiss the case entirely. Well, I know that a lot of prosecutors say like, hey, this isn't CSI and we don't have this and we don't have that. But right. I mean, the reality is people do want, they want a physical connection. Right. And, and people watch those shows and think that it reflects reality. Right. Pinky's obsession with true crime went so far that Panky confessed involvement in another crime for which another person is serving time. Vioris said, quote, he's a true crime junkie, gets himself in the middle of murder cases, but that doesn't mean he's actually involved in them, end quote. Do you, in, in your research, because I didn't see it, did you see what crime he was referencing? I didn't see that. It was just something that he had made a reference because to. Because that's kind of crazy. It is kind of crazy. And it would have been interesting to know what that crime was. Right. Like if it was the murder of a little girl who was 12 years old. <laughs> but you like some other girl. No, I, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> you're laughing at me. Well, that's because I it's know. creepy. <laughs> In fact, Fjorst argued during his opening statement that Panky had no motive to commit the crime and actually said that evidence points to the son of the woman who lived across the street from the Matthews family in 1984. That's another thing crooks do, by the way. They don't want to say, I don't know. They suggest other possibilities. The first witnesses to testify after the prosecutors and the defense attorney did their opening statements were Janelle Matthews' mother, father, and sister, where they spoke about the last day they saw their daughter and sister alive and engendered the sympathy of the jury. Retired Greeley police captain Jack Statler who in 1984 was the first Greeley police officer to lead the investigation, testified about being called to the Matthews home for the missing girl, Janelle. Statler's testimony focused on the process and procedures of those early days in the investigation, including the evidence gathering and conversations and interactions with Panky, the defendant, in January of 1985. So that was when he claimed to be a Baptist minister and was looking to see if one of his parishioners, perhaps, or one of his congregants. Exactly. Was he, he, guilty. He, he wanted the deeds of the murder. Right. Just in case he knew the person or because he thought he knew the person, supposedly. Statler testified, we did about everything we could do, trying to contact everyone we could to determine if anyone 
had seen anything. Psychics, religious visions. We had multiple reports across the country of sightings. Statler also testified that there were two key pieces of evidence, tracks in the snow near the Matthews home and a rake used to hide shoe impressions. Statler testified that the tracks were, quote, the one piece of information that no one other than the one who did it would know, unquote. The information was not released to the public, nor was the fact that some of the tracks were covered by a rake. Through the years that Statler was handling the case, Panky would call and ask for details and information on Janelle's murder, which he and other police officers refused to give up. Two former police officers also testified, detailing suspicious statements Panky made in the years following the murder. Laureen Lee Edgerton was a police officer in Ketchum, Idaho from 1989 to 2006, and she was on a traffic stop in early 1997 when Panky approached and began taking photos. Edgerton asked Panky to back away because he was compromising her safety, but according to Edgerton, he remained. Edgerton warned Panky that he would be arrested for obstructing if he didn't get in his car. Edgerton testified that Panky responded by telling her not to mess with him and, quote, he had buried more people than you know, end quote. Edgerton said she asked where, and Panky replied, Colorado. Edgerton further testified that Panky was always interjecting himself into their police work. Another officer who testified was Larry McConnell, who was a police officer at the Sun Valley Police Department in Idaho from 1984 to 1997. He testified about receiving information from Angela Hicks, Panky's ex-wife. She provided McConnell with numerous newspaper articles, copies, and notes about Janelle's disappearance and told him about the hurried family trip in December of 1984. Do you know what year she contacted this guy? I don't. I never saw that. Okay. I'm guessing it was sometime after 1999. Exactly. Actually, it couldn't have been, though, because he was only a police officer with Sun Valley until 1997. Okay, that's That's, weird. That's interesting. Yeah. Panky's ex-wife Hicks told McConnell that she and Panky had initially decided not to go to California for Christmas, but late on the evening of December 20th, she was directed by Panky to pack up the car for the trip. The officer further testified that on the way back, Panky listened to the radio and read newspapers obsessively looking for information about Janelle. Jennifer Ewer, who had served as the prosecuting attorney in Lincoln County, Idaho from 1993 to 1996, said she encountered Panky fairly often early in her term. He contacted her asking for her help to divulge information regarding Janelle's disappearance, but only on the condition that he be granted immunity. Ewer clarified immunity meant no charges would be brought against Panky, no matter what information he would then divulge. During questioning by Viorst, she added that Panky never indicated he was involved in the murder. Although they didn't have a body until 2019, the disappearance of Janelle Matthews remained an open case. Greeley Police Detective Robert Cash, who had assumed charge of the case in 2013, testified that three months prior to the discovery of human remains, Cash had received a phone call from Panky. He and Panky talked about the case and Panky's interest in it 
and his thoughts on any involvement of Russ Ross, who was a Matthews family friend and the last known adult to see Janelle alive. This is so weird. In 2019, calling the detective assigned to the case. 35 years later? To say like, hey, I think Russ Ross is the guy. Do you remember what you were doing 35 years ago and what you thought of Russ Ross, Russ Ross, whatever his name is? No. No. I mean, is there really any wonder why the police had him on their radar? None whatsoever. A recording of the roughly 30-minute phone conversation from April 18th of 2019 that we just referenced was played during Cash's testimony. The detective said it was during that call that he began thinking Panky might be a suspect. Detective Cash said it was interesting that during the call, Panky talked about making a deal and involving his lawyer before engaging in deeper talks with Cash. Panky said during the call, I am not saying anything until I have a firm deal that can't be broken. Defense attorney Anthony Viorst questioned the detective about consideration of other suspects, specifically a young man whose mother lived across the street from the Matthews family. Viorst had presented the neighbor's son as an alternate suspect in the case. Viorst, the defense attorney, and Detective Cash spent a lot of time discussing the timeline of the evening Janelle disappeared relating to the young man's visit to the neighborhood. Detective Cash said he ruled out both of the suspects viewers presented, Russ Ross and the young man, as potential suspects based upon corroborating witnesses' alibis. While questioning the Greeley police detective, Panky's defense attorney brought up fingerprints taken from the scene of Janelle's disappearance, noting Panky's prints did not match even after the FBI did a cast of his hand. Okay, so now some of this physical evidence is bothering me a little bit because, you know, we were kind of joking about who doesn't know these things. He's inserting himself too much, like all the things that tick the police boxes for somebody who might be involved. But now there's not physical evidence. Okay, so now it even gets a little bit stranger with Panky inserting himself. In May of 2019... So this is one month after Kathy had just mentioned he spoke to Detective Cash. And two months before Janelle's remains were found, Panky did a three-hour-long interview with true crime podcaster Ed Denzel, who's the host of the podcast Unfound. So wait, I'm sorry. How soon before her remains were found did this happen? Two months. Okay, go ahead. Did you not listen? I didn't. Sorry. Denzel explained that Panky had reached out to him for the interview, which was unusual for the podcast because Denzel normally interviewed family members of people who went missing. Now, like other interviews, Denzel said, Panky did agree on an outline for the interview prior to speaking with him. What do you mean? Like, like here are the questions I'm going to ask. Here's the information I'm looking for. I mean, was Panky saying, do this, do that? Do, like, do you oh, think I'm he was, sure he was. Like I'm trying sure to control the, control, I can't even speak, trying to control the narrative. That's what, exactly what I think he was doing. Interesting. On the podcast, Panky said he didn't know Janelle or her family at all, with no interactions other than maybe passing them at a grocery store. Although, if he didn't know them, how would he know he passed them at a grocery store? How's that an interaction? Who knows? He also recounted his evening on... He's a man of many inconsistencies. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be on his tombstone. (laughs) (laughs) On the podcast, he also recounted his evening on December 20th of 1984, 
saying that he and his wife were packing the car to head out to California early the next morning. He said the trip was planned. Liar, liar, pants on fire. (laughs) Now, the prosecution played portions of the podcast for the jury because they wanted to show just how convoluted his story was two months prior to the remains being found. So... Was he giving statements that were new that had never been, I mean, like, what was the deal? Like, what was the point of the podcast? I think the point of the podcast is, is he wanted to keep reiterating that he was not home when Janelle Matthews disappeared. Okay. And didn't know about it and didn't know till he got back, which was the 27th of December. But what he said on the podcast was really odd. He said that he found out about Janelle's disappearance and then murder When his father-in-law, who was a groundskeeper for the local cemetery, came over to talk to him. Now, Panky said that he and his father-in-law weren't on speaking terms, so it was really odd that he showed up. But he started spinning this really convoluted story about how police had approached his father-in-law asking for a casket and somehow intimated that Panky had done something. And so the father-in-law needed to provide this casket to help Panky stay out of a jam. Okay, that's so he was basically saying the cops were helping Panky cover up somebody's murder and he needed a place to bury a body. I mean, what? That's That's exactly what it sounds like he was saying. That's so weird. Well, and it doesn't make sense because he talks a lot about how he felt like he was so oppressed by the police, that they were always after him, that they were always asking him questions and that type of thing. But why would the police be trying to cover up a crime that he committed? They wouldn't. Exactly. (laughs) So this was really strange. And then after he went through this story... Denzel asked Panky if he had ever discussed this conversation with his ex-wife Hicks, who was then his then wife, but he said they never discussed it. Panky said he was doing it just to avoid conflict, which I got to tell you, he doesn't seem to be a man who likes to avoid conflict. Yeah. But despite not telling his wife, Panky actually went to the FBI about the conversation, saying that it was on the advice of his attorney who expressed concern about obstruction of justice. So all of this is coming up. Two months before the body is found, and it's all apparently some type of weird fabrication. Correct. All right. During this podcast, Pinky also tried to imply that Russ Ross, or Russ Ross, Ross Russ, was responsible for Janelle's disappearance. Denzel asked Pinky if he thought Russ Ross, remember he's the family friend who dropped Janelle off the night she disappeared, was involved in her murder. And this was a big deal because for many years, Ross's name was kept out of the newspaper And I can attest to that because one of the places we go to look for sources is Mm newspapers.com. And I did not find his name in anything until 2019. Wow. Denzel asked Panky how he knew who dropped Janelle off that night. And Panky said from local reports. Denzel then said he wasn't able to find any local reports naming Ross in the days following her disappearance. But Panky challenged it may have been from broadcast reports. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. But don't you think, Kath, I mean, especially knowing how news is now and some of the cases we're even talking about, that anything that's discussed on the news finds its way into a newspaper story? Well, yes. I mean, newspapers were so much more thorough in 1984, um, and there were at least two editions a day, typically. But still, we don't know. I mean, we, we don't know what was said on the news. What also came out during the trial was that Panky had told a number of people, including his then wife, detectives, and reporters that the footprints left in the snow when Janelle was taken from her home had been raked over. Remember, this is the evidence that police never reported to the public and was something only the killer would know. In closing argument, Vior said, jerk, 
guilty as charged. Murderer? Not guilty. He also said that Panky was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, which Vior said caused his client to process information differently and get involved in matters, especially true crime cases, to prove his self-importance. Now, when I was looking over this case, I didn't, I mean, when I was looking for articles, I did not see anything about testimony from a psychiatrist about an Asperger's diagnosis. Okay, you know where I think this might come from then is that this trial was originally supposed to have started in June of this year, so June of 2021, but it was put off so that the defendant could have a competency I think it was a competency evaluation. Interesting. Well, there, there must have been a psychiatrist testifying during the trial because this is closing argument. And in closing argument, you're supposed to take the facts, the testimony, and apply them to the law and say why, you know, why the guy's guilty or not guilty. You are not supposed to make up extraneous information and, oh, by the way, he was abused as a kid or, oh, by the way, you know, X, Y, and Z happened. So that he's bringing up Asperger's in closing argument leads me to believe that there was some testimony about it, despite the fact that I didn't read about it. Right. In closing argument, the prosecution talked about the statements of his ex-wife and what she overheard after their son was killed. And by the way, do you know if the son was killed or murdered? I mean, I couldn't find I couldn't find a single article about that. Okay. Okay. So anyway, so the prosecution highlighted the statement that she supposedly heard while Panky was standing near the urn of their son. Also, the fact that he forced the family to go to California, his obsessive insinuation into the investigation over three decades. Crazy. I know. His knowledge of the rake to cover the tracks in the snow outside the Matthews home. And his repeated requests for immunity in response to offers to provide information. Assistant District Attorney Rob Miller ended his closing arguments by saying to the jurors, don't let this self-proclaimed master manipulator manipulate you. After 15 days of trial on November 2nd, 2021, the case was handed to the jury. After two days of deliberation on November 4th, 2021, the jury announced that they had been able to reach a guilty verdict on only one of the charges, and that was false reporting to authorities. Which is obviously a very weak charge. (laughs) Well, the prosecutor had actually just added that charge the day before it went to the jury, after Panky had testified on the stand about lying about his involvement with the case. That is a misdemeanor with a maximum sentence of six months. And because Pinky had already spent more time than that behind bars, his attorney assumed that he would get credit for time served. Right. Now, the jurors could not reach a unanimous verdict on first degree murder, felony murder and kidnapping. As a result, a mistrial was declared on those three counts. A status hearing was set for the afternoon of Monday, November 8th. Prosecutors will have to decide whether to proceed with a second trial against Panky, and District Attorney Rourke said that they would speak with the Matthews family to see what their wishes are. This is kind of an incredible case because maybe it is one of those situations where somebody has a mental health situation that causes them to insert themselves and be completely obsessive 
about something like this. The biggest issue I have is knowledge of the footprints and the raking. I, I agree 100%. I know that they didn't find his fingerprints, but again, this is 1984 technology. Right. Well, they probably wouldn't have found it anyway unless, unless I mean, who knows? You know, who knows? We, we, don't, we don't know the circumstances by which she actually left her residence. Right. There didn't look like there'd been a struggle, right? Her dad had gone up and just seen like where her blanket was, where the space heater was. So clearly she hadn't struggled with whoever had taken her. Right, right. I'm very curious to see what the district attorney decides to do. We have an answer to Kathy's question about what the prosecutor decided to do after Stephen Pankey was only found guilty on the charge of false reporting and not the three more serious charges of first-degree murder, felony murder, and kidnapping. At a November 8th hearing, the district attorney's office informed Judge Timothy Kearns that they will pursue a new trial against Stephen Pankey. Pankey's defense attorney, Anthony Viorst, requested yet again to modify Pankey's bond, either significantly reduce the cash-only amount of $5 million or allow for his client to use a bail bondsman. Judge Timothy Kearns denied Viorst's request and Pankey remains in custody on a $5 million cash-only bond. In a surprise move, Viorst also withdrew as Pankey's attorney on Monday, saying he doesn't have the time or energy to devote to trying the case again, given his small law practice and his advanced age. As a result, the court appointed public defenders to represent Pankey. According to the Denver Gazette, Viorst said he continues to believe in Pankey's innocence and hopes a jury will exonerate him in the new trial. Pinky's new public defenders said they are looking into whether Pinky's new trial should be moved out of Weld County, given heavy media coverage of the case, and they asked for time to assess the case, given the voluminous amount of documents they have to review, which includes approximately 24,000 pages of discovery, 425 audio recordings, and 22 days of trial transcripts. The district attorney's office did not object to the request, and Judge Kearns set a status hearing for November 17th. We will share any updates on our social media accounts at Killer Destinations Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. If you liked us, and only if you liked us, <laughs> please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please follow us on social media. We're at Killer Destinations Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.